Uh, good morning, everyone. I haven't done this for a while, I know not everybody likes it, but why don't you just turn around to the person beside you and say hello and welcome, and introduce yourself if you don't know them. Okay, that's enough. Thank you, David. Uh, it's December. <laughs> Few people are happy about that. Uh, but what I want to ask you is, what are some of the telltale signs? What are some of the indicators that it's Christmas or that Christmas is on its way? It's just around the corner. Shout them out to me. Trees. Decorations. Sorry? Hogwarts. Adverts. We said Hogwarts. I think. <laughs> Harry Potter moment there. Right. Adverts. Yes. Advert. TV adverts go to a whole new level. Anything else? Music. Hold that one, but brilliant. Anything else? Mangers. Yep. Credit card bills, did someone say? <laughs> Christmas jump. Who's got a Christmas jumper on? Come on, admit it. Deborah Cully. You're the one. Oh no, Ben Johnson, two. Anybody else want to confess? Logan has got a Christmas jumper on. Logan Cully has got a Christmas jumper on. Yeah, here's some of the signs. Christmas come, decorations go up, lights come on, Christmas jumpers appear, TV adverts go up a notch, and then music changes. It changes in shops, it changes in restaurants, it changes in churches, it changes on people's playlists. How do you feel? about Christmas music. <laughs> Go on down, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> no, don't. Let, let, me ask, let me ask you another question. What is God like? Many people have some idea, some opinion. Everybody thinks something about God and maybe particularly so at this time of year. Well, this morning, and during the next three Sundays of Advent, that kind of run up to celebrating and marking the first arrival of God to planet Earth, we're going to listen, as Richard said, to a Christmas playlist. Three Christmas songs that we have listened to before, but we've remixed a little for 2016. We actually listened them back in 2008. And through listening to them again, I hope we'll rediscover more about God that he's bigger, that he is more, that he's greater. We'll have a broader understanding of God, a deeper understanding of God that will cause us to sing this Christmas maybe like never before, even if we feel yuck about Christmas music. <laughs> if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I don't have the words on the screen this morning, sorry. So if you do have a Bible, if you have it on your phone or another uh, device, great. And we're going to hear some lyrics sung by the most unlikely of singers, in fact, by the most unlikely of people, considering the reason behind the song. The title for this song, or the one that it's been given, is The Magnificat. Let me see. That doesn't seem to be working now, Matt. You can throw me onto the next slide, Matt. No. No, one more. Great. No, one more. <laughs> there it is. 
So the title for this song, or the one that's been given, is, is The Magnificat. And the original tune, as we know, is, is unknown, although it's been set to music by countless composers. And it's a song that's been sung and it's been listened to by more people for more years than even the top three selling Christmas songs of all time. Now, what are the top three selling Christmas songs of all time? White Christmas by Bing Crosby, yep. Sorry? What was that one? The one by the Pogues and Kirsty McCall, no. That's not the top three, but it's a great one. It's probably my favorite one, actually. Child is Born, no, Joe, it's not that one. Silent Night, Bleak Wind Winter, no. Savior's Day, no. Driving Home for Christmas by Chris Rea, no, Yarrow. It's going to be a long sermon this morning. <laughs> right, we need two more. I'm not moving on. Sorry, I wish, I wish it could be Christmas every day. By, is that Slade? Yes, that's the one. That's number two. So there's, you still haven't got the first one. The Band-Aid song. Yes, do they know it's Christmas. Right. So anyway. I know I often say let's close in prayer at this point, but we're not going to do that. Uh, let's stand together and let's listen to this original uh, Christmas hit. Please stand with me. Tom, Tom Wright says about this song, uh, I'll stick it back one. Oh, yeah, this one here. Tom Wright says about this song that the Magnificat has been whispered in monasteries, cherished in cathedrals, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight and set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. That's what we're going to listen to. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, or sung, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Grab a seat. And so what was it that that caused this teenager, this young girl, to craft some of the most profound lyrics that have ever been written? What, what caused her to burst into song? What inspired her, or, or more importantly, who inspired her? And the story behind this song, and the thing is that most songs have got a backstory, but the background to this particular song is familiar. And it's a combination of the ordinary and the extraordinary and the natural and the supernatural. A young woman is going to have a baby. 
That's ordinary news. It's extremely special most of the time for the people or the person involved, but it's not uncommon. The baby's going to be conceived by God. That's extraordinary news at any and every level. The announcement is dramatically made by an angel. That's supernatural. And then Mary responds in a very natural way by saying, I need to go and tell someone about this. And so off she goes to tell her older cousin, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. The news. And as they talk together during this early version of A Girl's Night In, Mary breaks into song. She sings, and why not? And right from the word go, right from the very first note that is struck, you realize that here is a young woman who is singing her heart out in praise. And so her first line is, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This song of praise comes from the depths of her being. These are not just words. This is heartfelt. This is heart-engaged praise. Out of the overflow of her heart, Mary sings. This is a young woman worshiping in spirit and in truth. See, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and I know I'm getting repetitive in this. But how's your heart this morning? Where's your heart this morning? Has it been fully engaged in worship during this service? Have the words that you have sung this morning come from here, from your lips, or have they come from here, from your heart? The lion and the lamb. You're stronger. You're the cornerstone. Just words? Or is your heart being engaged in praise. Mary is somehow lost in wonder, love, and praise. And a key reason for that is revealed in the next line of the song. What does it say? For God has been mindful of the humble state of this servant. Mary sings, God has been mindful of me. And that just blows her systems. God could have found, he could have chosen a rich, noble, powerful, known, celebrated, high-profile woman to carry his child. But no, God chooses an ordinary, common, teenage, peasant girl who has no apparent significance whatsoever. So no wonder her soul magnifies. No wonder her spirit rejoices. She may feel like a nobody in most people's eyes, but she's a somebody. She's valuable. Valuable in the eyes of Almighty God. He has been mindful of me. Psalm 138 tells us, Though the Lord is great, and He is, He cares for the humble but he keeps his distance from the proud. You see, the heart matters. 
God saw, God sensed, God delighted in the humble state of a servant Mary's heart. And again, that in itself is a challenge because it forces me, it forces us, it invites us to consider the state of our hearts this morning before God and before others. Are we humble? Do we sit here this morning in humility? Or is there a hint or even a whiff of pride? The deadliest of all the sins, the greatest heart wrecker of all, and the thing, according to the psalmist, that causes distance between us and God. The heart of the matter. It's the matter of the heart. How's your heart this morning? The song plays on. Mary then celebrates the fact that forever and a day she will be called blessed, the blessed Virgin Mary. In verse 28, the angelic visitor told her, Mary, you who are highly favored. And the word for favor there is grace. Mary, you are a recipient of God's amazing, scandalous grace. And in verse 42, Elizabeth, her cousin, shouted and exclaimed that Mary was blessed among women. You see, Mary discovered and realized and knew that she was loved, that she was cherished, that she was chosen, that she was favored. And what did that cause her to do? It caused her to sing her heart out. Now, Mary wasn't perfect. You know, some people imply that she was virtually sinless. And that is why she is called blessed. No. Go back to her personal cry at the start of the song. What does she say? My soul magnifies... My spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. You see, Mary knew her need of a savior. Mary knew her need of God. She knew her need of rescue. Fast forward 30 years, and Mary's son, Jesus, will stand up on the side of a mountain and declare, blessed, what was the first line? Blessed are who? Of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they need God. Blessed are those who know that without God, they're lost. They're spiritually bankrupt, spiritually destitute. Mary knew her need of a savior. So God said, you're blessed. Jesus says, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. If you sit here this morning in humility and know that you need God, you're blessed, highly favored, deeply loved, chosen, chosen. To be blessed 
doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life. And although Mary discovered that she was blessed, that she was highly favored, that she was chosen, that she was deeply loved because she recognized her need of a savior, her need of God, and her humble heart before God, she's blessed, but, but Mary's not going to have an easy road ahead. Mary's going to be the talk of the town because of her pregnancy. Mary is going to somehow experience her soul being pierced, according to Luke 2.35. As a caring mom, she's going to go through the torture of thinking that she has lost her 12-year-old. Mary's going to be left wondering whenever Jesus turns 30, what's happened to my son? With us, with us as a family, with me for so many years, and now he's just gone off. Gone off for 40 days on his own. He's been baptized in the river Jordan. The Spirit has descended upon him. The Father has spoken over him. And he's gone. And he started to teach people and speak to people and heal people. What has happened to my son? And she will know intense despair and sorrow as she watches him wrongly accused and beaten and as she watches him assassinated. And her dreams for her son are going to be shattered. Time and time again. You see, to be blessed is no guarantee of a smooth path. Never has been, never will be. But it does mean that you can say, I am greatly blessed. I am highly favored. I'm deeply loved. Internal peace with God. Irrespective of external circumstances. So we go back to the song and Mary sings on. And what you discover as you listen to her lyrics is that here's a young woman who knows God. Here's a young woman who knows what God is like, who worships God, who exalts God as he deserves. And so she sings, God, you are the mighty one. God, your name is holy. You're merciful. You're fearsome. You're powerful. You're sovereign. You're in control. Said earlier, what is God like? Well, here in the space of a song are answers to that question. God is all of these things and so much more. But notice again, it is personal because right at the beginning of this song, as I've said, she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God isn't just out there. God isn't just distant. God isn't just above and beyond. God isn't just remote. God is personal. He's my Savior, says Mary. He's my rescuer, my deliverer. There was fear, on Mary's part, yes, but there's friendship. There's awe, yes, there's intimacy. There's reverence, yes, there's relationship. And we have got to grasp that about who God is and what God is like. Do you know God at that level this morning? Do you? Do you fear him and are you his friend? Have you stood in awe before him this morning as you've sang? And is there intimacy between you and God? Reverence and relationship. 
And what the song also reveals is that Mary knew her scriptures. Mary was aware of God's story via them. There are at least, and a number of you will know this, there are at least 10 references from the Old Testament in this song. Mary, you see, like so many Jews of the time, would have known her history through studying the Torah, through praying and singing the Psalms, through listening to the prophets. Mary's song is richly informed by God's word and influenced by it. And that's another challenge this morning. It's an ongoing, it's an important challenge we keep coming back to. Do you know, we need to be people of the book. We need to be people who are immersed in the living word of God, this transformative text that has the power, the ability to teach and to rebuke and to cut us open and to guide and to lighten our way and to spiritually nourish us. And, and just on this issue, let, let me mention something about our 40 days that we're launching again from the 1st of January to the 9th of February 2017. Some of you, many of you will know that over two years ago, we spent 40 significant days in prayer, which helped to shape and continues to shape our story as a church. Well, we as elders want to encourage and facilitate and call Windsor, call you to another 40 days of prayer. As we continue to look to God at this critical time of our ongoing journey, as plans are being submitted this week, as finances still need to be raised, as focus still needs to be maintained, and we're going to say more about that in due course, but I also want to make you aware that what we're also going to include this time around and what we're also going to promote is 40 days of God's Word. And so starting from New Year's Day 2017, which is a Sunday this year, and we're going to do church twice on New Year's Day. But from the 1st of January 2017, we're going to provide a 40-day reading plan that will invite each of us to read key texts of the Bible together that will take us from Genesis to Revelation and give us a sense of the big story. We're not suggesting that you read the whole Bible in 40 days, but we are encouraging you to read a lot of it together at the start of the new year. It's going to be a great New Year's resolution, or at least a great 40-day one. And there's going to be more info to come. But you see, Mary, here is a young woman who is saturated in God's word, who knows God's word and can take God's word and put it into the lyrics of a song and sing her heart out to God. And as we keep saying time and time again, we need to be those kind of people who know God's word, who grapple with God's word, who engage with God's word on a regular and consistent basis. Nearly done. Another helpful aspect of this song is the balance that you find in it. You see, Mary's song expresses her feelings, plus it's grounded in God's word. So it's emotional and it's rational. It's spontaneous, it's structured. It's head, it's heart. It's creative, it's objective, and I could go on. There's passion and there's zeal mixed and blended with truth and substance. And you see, the thing is, some of us here this morning would love more emotion in worship. Some of us are freaked by the mere prospect of that. Some of us enjoy songs that are packed with content. Others enjoy simple songs of love. And as always, it's both and as opposed to either or. Balance is so important. And Mary's song captures this balance. And that's a challenge for any church community and any singing church community. How do we strike 
the balance and we will just continue on that journey. One final thought. The Magnificat is a hope-filled song. Some people would say, and many have, that it's a revolution song, that Mary sings about a messianic revolution. Because for many, many years, people, not everyone, but lots of people had dreamt that one day, someday, the promises of God are going to come true. Hope is, that hope that we've had for, gener- for so long is going to become a reality. Light someday is going to pierce the darkness. Joy is going to replace despair. The Messiah is going to come. And he's going to turn everything and everyone upside down and inside out. And as Mary processes the supernatural life-altering message of the angelic visitor, she passionately believes that this new day has come. And therefore, she sings about mercy extending to those who fear God. She sings about mighty deeds performed. She sings about the proud scattered. She sings about rulers being brought down. She sings about the humble lifted up. She sings about the hungry being fed. She sings about people being helped. She sings about promises being kept. And what's fascinating is that Mary seems to sing this song in the past tense. He has performed. He has scattered. He has fed. He has lifted. You see, Mary seems convinced that this child who's currently growing inside her will do these things. That because of Jesus, God has accomplished these things. Mary is somehow convinced about what her son will do, and therefore she sings about it as if he already has done it. In real time, so many of these things are down the line. But in Mary's mind, it's an accomplished fact. It's a done deal. Why? Because God is behind this. God is all over this. Hope is a reality. A revolution has begun. And so she sings. And here's the takeaway from this morning, if you like, apart from the whole encouragement to check your heart, examine the state of your heart this morning, and consider your engagement with God's word. But here is another takeaway from this morning. We can still sing the Magnificat. Because this revolution revolution continues. Hope lives on. Because of Jesus, because of the birth of Jesus, because of Christmas, God is still mindful of people like you and me. God is still the mighty one who has done great things. God's mercy still extends. God continues to lift the humble. God continues to feed the hungry. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. God still delivers on his promises. That's what this season is really all about. It's about a time to remember and celebrate and sing about the birth of my Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there's none like you. And so we're going to sing those words. And we're going to join Mary's song in a sense. And we're not going to sing the Magnificat as such. But I want you to put the Magnificat on your playlist this Christmas. But keep it there through the entire year. So that all year round your soul keeps magnifying. Your soul keeps rejoicing. And so I want us to stand together at the end of this service and sing from our hearts, my Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there's none like you. And then later on in that song, it says, I'll sing for joy.
I love you forever. That's got to come from the heart. Let's stand together and let's sing, my Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there's none like you. And we're going to keep on singing.